Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Brother Bill. Sir. It's good to see you. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. And speaking of welcome back, my son always tells me that. I always, I always say everybody's name. Like one thing about a small church like this, you, you have this inability to forget that everybody doesn't know who you are. And sometimes I don't even identify myself when I come up here. I'm like, wait a minute, I still have my little name tag on. They got to know. And he's like, you know, every, you can't just calling out Jim in the middle of the crowd and Bob in the middle of the crowd. Bill, people don't know. So that's Bill, in case you didn't know. People at home, that's Bill. He, uh, he was injured. And so he's back, and people have been asking, and today you get to do ministry with 20 new volunteers to do ministry for the church. I mean, God bless us, and thank you, Lord, and amazing. So last week we had small groups after church. This week we have a care ministry. And then next week, uh, Jen and I are going to invite all the people who have families, anyone who's got a kid of any kind or want to meet the families. We're hoping that if we get all the families in the same room, that something will happen. We don't have anything planned. We're just hoping that if we get them all in there, that something will happen. So if you have a family or if you know somebody with kids, please tell them to come next week. There's no daylight savings, no excuse, no built-in anything. Just come, eat some food, and hang out and uh, see what will happen. We're also excited to have some of the new people kind of showing up as God kind of continues to move. So if you don't know, I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm glad to be with you this morning. That was Pastor Bill. We got another Pastor Rod that helps us. And then Josh up there, our new married man of a few weeks, is already bestowing wisdom to the audience. Just blessed to be serving you guys in everything that we can do. And we are finishing up Nehemiah. We're getting closer. Today I'm actually going to be combining uh, chapters 11 and 12. And that's only because I know how much you guys like lists of names. And chapter 11, once again, gave me that beautiful opportunity if I wanted to so bathe you in about 787 names. But I've decided once again to, to pass that up and leave that for the small group so you guys can study that. We're only going to take four verses from 11 and one little incident. It's the restoring of the residents to the city, which is a fabulous little concept that we're going to cover. And then we're going to take one little story out of 12, which is the culmination of everything that's happened so far. And that will leave uh, me free next week to do a, a standalone. And what I'm hoping to do is do a standalone message on prayer. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been having with people about prayer and the simplicity of prayer and kind of the lost power of prayer and just all these nuances about prayer. So since everything that this revival was based on was based on prayer, it feels like a good time to do a standalone. So we'll do a standalone next week on prayer. And then that following week, Rod will finish up uh, Nehemiah in 13, and that's the final instruction that God gives Nehemiah, and then we'll transition to Easter, which is going to be a beautiful time, and uh, we'll have a couple of different services going on there, so make sure you check your bulletin for that, and then we'll go to the book of Acts. So I'm just excited about what God's doing here, and I hope you're excited too. And because of that, I want to share a quick little story before I get started. So Nehemiah has been transitioning this whole time from the call in chapter 1 to obstacles and oppositions from 2 through 7, to an incredible revival. 8, 9, and 10 were all about the revival. Now, for the record, not only is that one of the first and earliest recorded revivals in the Bible, but that's also one of the longest recorded messages in the Bible. It's over 22, 23% of Nehemiah's total message is on the power of a revival. And it feels like the whole point of that was to build the wall. Like when you talk about Nehemiah, the whole point was to build the wall. It's like, we're already past the wall now. We're already past the wall. Now we have this incredible opportunity, revival. Okay, now we're past that. What's next? And so these next two components that I get to share with you today are kind of like the culmination of a wedding. I feel like for those of you who have had the privilege of being involved with a wedding, it's like you, you get your mindset on this singular event, right? And the ultimate event for Nehemiah was he, was he was in Babylon. He had a job. Everything was copacetic. But he was reminded something. He was reminded that there was a promise that God had made to this people group, the Jews. And that people group had a city that was promised, right? Now, it's a city called Jerusalem, which currently is in total disarray, total rubble. But it's a promise that he made to them to not only keep the city, but provide for the city and bless the city. And on top of the blessing, he also put a reminder that anyone who went against that city would pay a steep price. And so Nehemiah is thinking, what can I do to make the city on a hill the city on a hill again? Now, uh, city on a hill comes from Matthew 5. 
And I don't know if you've seen the picture of Jerusalem back there, but I couldn't help but think of myself as like, this, this is the strategic nature of where Jerusalem kind of sits is the perfect, in my mind, the city on the hill. Why? Because God wanted to make Jerusalem the place where worship of God could be seen by the whole world. And so today, as I get to kind of the ending part in chapter 12, I think you're going to be really excited about the idea. They finally get to celebrate. Once the residents are back in town, they're going to celebrate and man, when they celebrate, they celebrate big, like a wedding, like I said. So a part of a wedding is you have to do all this, this planning. Like anyone who's done a wedding realizes you start in advance, and then you plan all the way out. And when you get down to the very end, one of the final things that you get to do is place the people, right? The seating arrangement of where you're going to place the people. And that's a really important part. I remember talking with the Josh and Jenna when they were getting ready to place the people. They did their event um, in the back bay at this little restaurant, and at some point in time, they run out of seating, right? So placing the people in the right place is a really important thing, and ultimately, that's what Nehemiah is going to get to do today. He's going to get to place the actual people, the residents in the town. The idea of prayer and repentance being an important part of that, too, I just want to remind you, too, for coming into next week, is if you haven't had a chance to be um, in supplication about prayer, be praying about this for next week as well, because uh, I want to I just remind you something, that nothing happens in this church, nothing happens in our life without prayer. Nothing. It is the single greatest powerful tool that we have. And so before we even get on to what Nehemiah has to share with us today, I just want to be encouraging you. Be praying for the church. Be praying for us. We pray for all your prayer requests. Matter of fact, anything you turn on a connection card, we pray for the elders on, uh, on Wednesday morning. And I'm glad to tell you again that Charlie has instituted some prayer again with Tom up in the upper room before the church service between 9.15 and 9.30. If you want to come join us in that upper room, it's called the Cove at the top of the stairs. We're praying for the service again as well. So we are a praying church and we're going to hold fast to that. And I want to encourage you to join us in prayer anytime you can. So let me pray and then I'll get reminded with uh, the passage that got Nehemiah focused. Father God, first and foremost, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the opportunity just to, to be reminded that whether it's daylight savings or the Super Bowl or anything that the world has to throw at us today. I mean, beautiful weather. Maybe there's a, a pole to go skiing. Father, there's no place I'd rather be than here in your arms. And I know that the word of God is such an encouragement to me. And I pray that this morning for for anyone who's been struggling, anyone who, who decided that this morning I'm going to make the effort to be in the house of God. Today I'm going to be here whether I'm feeling 100% or 10%. I'm going to be in the house of God and I'm going to trust that the word of God has a source of encouragement that I need. Father, I pray that you would just mightily bless those who bless you like you promised to Israel. Father, sometimes we forget the covenants that you've made with us. And I know that in this house, we are better together than we will ever be alone. And I pray for all those that have suffered this week. I pray for all those that are struggling with health. I also want to just thank you, Father, for taking our dear sister Barbara home to be with you, Father. I know that was a struggle the last week with her, Father, but what a beautiful life she lived and what a blessing she was to this church. What an inspiration she was to make every day count for the sake of God. Father, I pray for her family. I pray for their strength. And I pray for anyone in this building today or even someone listening on, online. If they don't know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, I pray that today, Father, in that very name, above all names, Jesus, that they would make a decision to follow him with everything they have. Father, we do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so just a quick reminder. Nehemiah was trying to build a wall, and he was trying to build a wall for a reason. What was the ultimate reason that Nehemiah wanted to restore the wall? The ultimate reason that Nehemiah wanted to restore the wall was that Jerusalem could be restored to this place that God had promised, right? With a city that has no wall is not a city. And so Nehemiah knew this. But Nehemiah knew this because of promises that were made, promises that were spoken to him years before. And when I mean him, I mean the people group, Israel, Jews, Matter of fact, if you like passages from uh, Isaiah, this is a phenomenal passage. I found a couple of different passages that speak truth to why Nehemiah was so motivated to restore Jerusalem. This is, ne this is from Isaiah 51.3. This is 740 B.C. So Nehemiah has written about 450, 440. This is 740. So two, three hundred years beforehand, Isaiah is a prophet. This is what Isaiah the prophet says about Jerusalem. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look upon her with compassion and all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the gardens of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Isaiah 61.4 And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. 
They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Now, that's two or three hundred years before. That's pretty encouraging. You know they would have had that passage. They would have had that information prior to that. But it continues to be encouraged as well in Ezekiel, another prophet, 593 B.C., about 125 years before Nehemiah. Listen to what he writes about the city. And I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I show my holiness in you before their eyes. For I will take from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. Then Ezekiel 37, 26, I think this is a really key component of what the promise is. I will, right? I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them. I will is the person who made a promise to Nehemiah that he would cover them. I don't know about you, but we're talking about covenants last week and the power of a covenant. Remember, a covenant's still in place whether or not you're thinking about it or not, whether or not you remember or not. And the fact that Nehemiah had this incredible promise to fall back, it's like, we have a covenant with God to be a city on a hill. We have a covenant with God that no matter what happens to us, no matter where we end up, no matter why we get there, if we would simply fall back and call upon the name of the Lord, that he will not only bless, but he will restore. So because of that, I I got a little bit motivated. You guys like a little history? How about a little history? Israel, Jews, have been attacked eight separate wars. Eight separate wars. In those wars, they have gone against both people and nations. Between Stalin and Hitler, it's estimated 8 to 12 million Jews were killed, okay? 8 to 12 million. Today, no difference has ever been made, and no difference will ever continue to be. But why would a single people group be ostracized? I've always wondered that. In the world that we live in today, with such a small nation, why is such a single people group hated? Why is such a single people group and ostracized. Regardless of that, one thing for sure, no matter what's been done to them, they've been protected, they've been covered, and they've been uh, continued to be blessed. What about nations? The Palestinian nation, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Kuwait, and even the specialized groups, Hamas, has all gone against Israel, and to date, not one of them has had a victory. That is a covenant, that is a promise that is so powerful that I think today when I think about why are they so excited about getting back to Jerusalem, why are they so excited about knowing that no matter what happens to them, there's a promise because the word of God said it and the word of God meant it and whether or not people understand it, it will continue to be protected. And that's why I just want to throw a quick little reminder out there. God said, I will bless those who bless you right? It's really important to us to keep Israel in our prayers. It's really important to keep the nation of Israel in our prayers because we want to be a nation that blesses Israel because God has a covenant promise with them. Not just a covenant problem, an everlasting covenant, right? So marriages, thinking about marriage, I mean, that's what we're supposed to have, an everlasting covenant, but this is with God, so it's a, a pretty amazing thing. So here's the reality going into chapter 11. The walls, the gates are up, The gates are not only up, but there's a time and a place when they're open and there's security on them. The leadership is now in place, right? I was talking with someone about how this could be explained. It's like like Disneyland. It's like everything is in place. There's people on the rides. There's people at the gates. The entire community of Disneyland is set up. The only thing that's missing are the actual people to enjoy it. So that's ultimately what he's got to get to. Everything is in place. The singers, the musicians... Even the temple priests are ready to go. The last thing the temple priests need to do is be purified, right? They need to be righteous, uh, hands ceremony. They have the ceremony they have to go through righteous purification. And once they do that, everything is both done and complete, and the city is ready. What is the city ready for? It's residents, okay? The everyday people who live in the city, the everyday people who do the shopping, who till the soil, who remove the rocks and rubble left over and get the city back to one thing that it was meant to be, this beautiful place, the center of worship for all the world to see. And I don't know about you, but a city without any people reminds me of like somewhere like Blythe, you know? And if I was trying to get a bunch of people to go back to a place that didn't have a lot to offer, or you can think about whatever place you've driven through, a desolate city that's been completely wiped out, I imagine there was a little bit of a struggle. And we're going to see that there is a little bit of struggle because what's happened is most people have kind of settled outside of the city, 
right? It's great to drive in and work in there and kind of do the thing, but at the end of the night, there's still no infrastructure in the city, right? The rubble and all that stuff, there's still no uh, culture, agriculture happening. There's nothing in there. So people want to go in and then leave, and, and Nehemiah is saying, no, the final thing that we need to do is we need to place all the people. It's like, oh, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the thing and see all the people. Like, he's like, okay, we, got, we got none of this. We got no peoples in there. We got to get peoples back in there. And I couldn't help but think about the same thing with like that wedding thing. It's not just people. He doesn't want to just get people there. Remember, he didn't want just people helping with the rebuilding of the wall. Remember, the, the line through Nehemiah is all the way through. It's not just people. It's not just anybody. It's the right people. And we're going to find out in a few minutes what the right people in. And this is a harsh reality because why would you want to give up going back to a town that has nothing? If you're living on the outside of towns, so let's say you have a nice little farm and a nice little house, why would you want to give that up to go back in and rebuild? And remember, one of the things that God is teaching Israel, one of the things that God is reminding Jews is that your life will be filled with sacrifice. You will be a people of sacrifice. And because sacrifice is so significant that from the very beginning, even those who would return, even those who would give up what they have on the outside to make it back in, it's really important to them. And so even though he's telling the leaders, I get it, leaders, I understand that you want to work and live on the outside. I'm asking you to return back to the city as well. By the way, that's the first question on your homework, is where did the city leaders live? They all lived on the outside. There was just, there was much more to be offered on the outside because the infrastructure wasn't set up. But remember, if it's going to start with somebody, it has to start with the leaders. So Nehemiah is saying, okay, leaders, you move in. Okay, now the people are in. Now the leaders are in. Now it's time for us to get the people back in. And we're going to read these first four verses in 11, 1 through 4 and find out how he gets the people back in. You may be surprised to find out how he does this. Okay, here we go. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now the leaders of the people settled in Jerusalem. So the leaders are finally in Jerusalem. Now the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every ten to live in Jerusalem. So casting lots, old school, dice rolling, right? Into the holy city, while the remaining nine were to stay in their own town. So just a certain percent that's coming in, but a percent they believe is from God. The people commended all those who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. Now some Israelites, priests, Levites, and temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants lived in the towns of Judah. Each of them had their own property in various towns, while other people from Judah and Benjamin lived in Jerusalem. Okay? So the rest of chapter 11 is going to give you great detail on all the people that come back and where the specific people actually go. And it's going to show you one very significant thing. When you get a chance to rebuild, don't just ask anyone to do it. When you get a chance to put the right people back in place, take the time to put the right kind of person back in place. And the kind of person that you want to put back in place has two very specific characteristics. They need to be upright and they need to be wise. Why? Once again, they're trusting the scriptures. They're trusting the scriptures for all their information. And Proverbs 11.10 has already taught them something. Proverbs 11.10 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but it will be overthrown by the mouth of a wicked. Okay? I love the fact that Nehemiah is constantly falling back to something that's already been said, constantly falling back to where God has already given information, constantly falling back, then rather than thinking there's something new that a leader can develop or say, there's nothing new. Solomon has already told us. There's nothing new. Let's fall back to what God's word says. And God's word makes it very clear. If you get upright people in your city, that city will not only survive, but it'll be blessed. He also found this in Proverbs 29, a second passage scornful men bring a city into a snare but wise men turn away wrath okay so from those two components being upright and being wise he learns something if i can get those kind of people and situationally place them throughout the city then when the city begins to flourish again when the city begins to normalize again it will have the kind of people that god can bless and if it's such an important decision why is nehemiah rolling dice I don't know about you, but today when I think about rolling dice, the last thing I can think about is something that's spiritual. But I was once again blown away. I'm a guy who loves the Word of God and loves to like research things in the Word of God. A good defense of the Word of God is to say, okay, well, it says it. Why does it say it? Well, once again, Proverbs. He's finding all these interesting components in Proverbs. Look what Proverbs 16.33 says. This is in the Bible. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You guys realize there's some gambling updates there in the Bible for you? 
The lot is cast. So what they're saying is we know that God would have the right people to be in place. And only one in ten people are even willing to come back into the city. So that person is not just important or significant. I mean, that person is foundationally going to be the cornerstone for which a whole little town or community is going to be built. How are we going to know what the Lord would have us to do? And he allows them to even cast dice for it. Um, I can't help but think about when the Lord uh, hung on the cross, they cast lots for his clothes, right? And from, from that ne- kind of a negative connotation of casting lots, but then I was researching this, and I was like, no, there's actually commentaries that say this was an established way of doing things. This was not considered anything negative. I put today, we probably don't cast lots. I mean, t- recently in an elder meeting, we haven't passed around the dice to say, should we or shouldn't we? It hasn't, it, we haven't really formalized that, just so you guys know today. Uh, if you see some guys in the parking lot throwing some dice against the wall, probably not elders or deacons trying to figure out what committees we should fire up or whatever. I think we've kind of fallen back today to just praying about it, right? Just praying and seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. But I just, I don't want to take away from God's word. If God's word says it, then I have to have confidence in it. And they did. And this is what they were looking for. I'm going to give you a list of ultimately what they're looking for. First, they were looking for the valiant men. The valiant men, okay? A valiant man was needed because every single gate had to be safeguarded. Now, there's a bunch of different gates, and all the gates have interesting meaning about them. But the idea of just a gatekeeper, this is where we get the term a gatekeeper. Um, I can't help but think about our gatekeepers. Today, you guys would probably see Charlie out there a lot. Um, you see the Macwells, you see a lot of our greeters out there. But ultimately, that concept of being a gatekeeper was not minimalized in the Word of God. It was always considered to be a significant thing. So if you are a gatekeeper at the church, this is where your concept comes from. And one of the earliest things that Nehemiah said is that individual needed to be valiant. Now, I know that's not a word we're not really using a lot today, but kind of me, I work for the police department. Valiant is kind of something that I see in kind of a heroic. When I think of valiant, I think of heroic. Someone who's realizing there's a cost to everything, but I'm willing to pay the cost for the sake of others. By the way, um, you guys remember Charles Lush from our church body? Once again, my son's not here, and I'm saying something. He used to always sit in the back with the big guide dog, Charles. Remember him? He's got some health issues, not able to come to church anymore. But an incident happened in the town where an individual was uh, wrestling with a police officer. And Charles came to the assistance of the police officer and used his dog's leash to hogtie the guy and actually assisted the police and was recently awarded an award by our police chief, Lawrence, and recognized as a citizen of valor. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool that Charles, <laughs> Charles is out there hogtied. So Glenn, I want to encourage Glenn and Billy, so you guys be looking for opportunities to use Billy's leash, all of you dog walkers, to hogtie and leash to be a man of valor. I mean, this would be rather than the dice throwing that you guys have been doing in the parking lot. I don't know. All right, what about next? The singers. He didn't want just singers. He didn't just want people who could open their mouth and make a joyful noise. He wanted singers to be what? He wanted singers to remind themselves that they were bringing us for a service to the house of the Lord. I mean, think about that. The Levites were actually a group of people who were generationally serving in the church. An entire generation of all they did was serve in the church. Serve, 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 serve. I imagine you'd be pretty good a few generations into that. I can't help but think about the singers that were like that too. And I think we're really blessed to have a really amazing worship team that loves what they do and spends the time and energy in what they do. But the reality is, is what Nehemiah is saying is, I don't just want anyone to do it. And maybe sometimes as a church, we kind of get caught up in stuff when we're doing something. We'll just take anybody that volunteers and we think, we'll just trust God with it. Maybe that's the case. But I would always say this, purpose to the Lord, the, per- the best person that the Lord has for that job. Because someone who's gifted at something, someone who's been blessed to do something, not only is it going to be easier for them to do, but it's just going to bless and edify everyone else, right? And he's saying, hey, look, you're not just singing. You're not just singing to them, but you're helping us sing into the Lord. I, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely one of those people that, given a different week, depending on how my week is, the ebb and flow of a week, I will often find myself in my office with the door closed and just putting worship on. Sometimes I can sing and I'm motivated to sing, but other times I just need to hear the worship of this music coming out to kind of just minister to me to remind myself, this is a worthwhile labor that we're doing, right? When you watch someone struggle and pass, when you watch someone kind of deal with pain, you you need to refill your tank and worship is something. And so he says, I don't want just anyone, I want the best. Ultimately, the people that help us spiritualize the kingdom of God are a crown of glory to their father. 
And I think that's such a cool thing. And singers and worship team, I hope that motivates you. You help us understand. You spiritualize the idea of who we are and what we're doing so that we might be a crown of glory to the hand of God. He also asks for the priests to just be not just anyone, but brothers and sisters who have an understanding to help sanctify the house of God. Sanctify the house of God. So I don't know about you, but I never really feel like I'm holy enough for God. I never really feel like, especially when we do something like communion, but I have to remind myself that part of what my preparation during the week is before I speak to you guys is I have to sanctify myself. I have to be able to look at God's word the whole time and think, okay, God is placing people everywhere in the church. God is placing people to do the ministry of God. How can I help them realize that we are a kingdom of God, that we are a people that have been set apart, okay? The city on the hill thing, a lot of times it's been kind of cannibalized and said like, oh, America is a city on the hill. I don't think he was talking about America. Not, I don't see a lot of America being a city on a hill right now. Maybe a city rolling down a hill or the city that fell off the side of a hill or a city that lives by a hill, but not much of a city on a hill right now. Israel still, to me, is a city on a hill. They are constantly under attack. They don't do something every day. I, I woke up this morning and watched news for just 10 minutes, and it was talking about the un unrest right now in Israel. It's like, they've been unrest from the day the Lord came, from the day the Lord left to the day the Lord returns, they will be in unrest, right? It's like, we want, to, we want priests that will help us realize that we need to sanctify the word of God, that we need to sanctify the people. And I hope that every week you realize it has nothing to do with being worthy. It has to do with showing up and trusting. That's what God said. I'm here to remind you of that every week. Between that, ultimately, Nehemiah was concerned about one thing. The character of people counts. And I know there was a thing on the radio years ago, and he used to say, character counts, right? There was like this little brief minute, and the guy would talk about it every week. And I just want you to know something, that character still counts to the Lord, and it's important. And then I just put, for you Mandalorian fans, this is the way. Because character counts, and it matters. And if you don't think about it, then that's your fault, because it matters to the Lord. So Nehemiah ends chapter 11 with the idea that the city's now in place, Disneyland is now open, the gates are now open, the people have now kind of dispersed, and they're going to all their right place, and now ultimately chapter 12 gives this opportunity to do something. The culmination of the wedding, the culmination of all the time and the energy of, of, of leaving your job, of going and dealing with the problems, of building the wall, of working through the revival, of walking around in the rubble, and all the different things that you've got through and done, what is ultimately going to now happen? Nehemiah is going to get a chance to celebrate with the people. Now, I didn't know about you, but I also put a small note in here. When it comes to celebration, when it comes to us taking the time to stop and celebrate what God has done for you or for me, how many of us would actually consider ourselves proficient at celebrating? I mean, think about this. I mean, our birthdays, I don't know about you, but most of us are to the point now where when it comes to our birthday, I'm with, I have no interest in my birthday. I don't want to do a celebration. Now, people around me want to do a celebration, but I have no interest. I'm kind of 50-something years of celebration. That's good. Every day to me is a celebration, right? But when it comes to actually celebrating something, how many of you would consider yourself proficient at celebrating? Two of us. Okay, three. Good. I would tell you this. For, for the, four, five, oh, six. We have seven, eight, and nine, and 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, 20. I would say for this, for the most part, America. Let me just blanket us. America. Compared to other places, like what we've done with celebrating something is we've minimalized it to just being like, that's what's expected right? Think about that. You have a job, you've been raising a family, whatever it is. It's like when something actually happens in your life that's monumental or magnificent or even miraculous, the reality is, is what we've kind of been conditioned to do has just been like, of course that happened. That's what you were working for. And as soon as it's done, what do we do? We we're done with that and we move right straight on to the next event. And because we have no kind of margin in our life to ever stop and celebrate, I love chapters like this where even though it's like just a few verses, Israel's not just going to stop and celebrate. Israel's going to celebrate in a way that's just monumental. And Israel had a lot of different things. Matter of fact, their entire calendar, if you look at the Jewish calendar, it's kind of built like every single month there's some kind of celebrational event in there. And I think in a lot of ways that we could learn from that. Because if the reality is if we never stop to celebrate what God has done in our life, then the next time we have a kid, we're just like on to the next kid, right? And the reality of what we're supposed to do with every child that's born, for instance, if there's a child born, is stop what we're doing, bring that child to the church, hold that child up in front of everybody, and do what? C celebrate and bless that child. 
Because that child is the legacy of everything that you are and everything that everything you will be. And that child mandates that whether or not you understand service, service is now going to become a priority in everything you do and everything you say. Regardless of when you want to sleep, regardless of when you want to eat, regardless of whatever time constraints in your life, the child mandates service and love unconditional. And so we hold that child up before the Lord and we say, Lord, for this blessing, for this incredible gift that you have given us, before this child even knows you, we commit this child to the Lord. We pray, Father, that you... We don't know where, which direction the child's going to go. We, we only pray and hope. But we commission that and we celebrate that. I mean, so many different things in life. We're just not very proficient at celebrating. And I want to encourage you, church, what, I, what I'm reading to you in chapter 12, I think, is not only monumental for them, it's monumental for us. And I'm definitely going to finish with it a little bit more, but let me read it. Just, I'm just going to pick some verses that I think help us picture this entire event. So this is chapter 12. People are in place. Wall is built. Everybody's ready to go. What's left to do? Starting in verse 27, 12, 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate with dedication and with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with the songs and the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So they're getting ready to celebrate the completion of the wall and the restoration of the people. Verse 20, 28. And so the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages. Jumping to verse 30, then the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they also purified the people at the gates and the wall. Remember, I mentioned to you that that was one of the remaining things that needed to be done in order to complete everything that was done, was reestablish the protocols of purification for the temple. So they're getting everything done. Every T is being crossed. Every I is being dotted. Everything is being done, and now they're assembling this great choir, this this great gathering of all the people that are now in place to celebrate the wall. And I'll jump to 31. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on the top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs. The first great choir, proceeding from the right on the top of the wall, was working towards the refuse gate. Down to the 37. And the second group at the fountain fountain gate, And they went directly to the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David and completed at the water gate on the east. So two different massive processions on top of the wall with music and singers for all to see. Now this, when I I got to this part this week, I was like, I need a visual. Mark, did you help me find my visual? Now obviously there was no photos there. There was no iPhones. There was nothing there. But remember... Um, Nehemiah, when he first got to the town, do you remember one of the first things that Nehemiah did? He walked around at night because it wasn't safe, right? And he was just in the midst of this debris and rubble, and he was thinking, what have I, what have I committed myself to? And then as Nehemiah begins the building process, he has Sanballat and Tobiah making fun of him the whole time, saying, that wall, if a fox runs into that wall, it's going to fall over right? He's been dealing with the nitpicking and the naysaying and all these different things. And he has the realization right now that not only is the town back in order, not only are the people back in the steeple, but the leadership, everything that God promised to him, the fulfillment of all these covenants is so manifest that he can now take the entirety of the city and these giant choirs and place them on top of the wall. And he does so in such a way as to send them out from two different processions and ending at two different things. Both of those are significant. Why? Because the first gate that he started at was the refuse gate is where he started when he did the first walk. So he started right there and said, this is where it all started. And look what God has done. At the very place where it all started, we are now 40 feet up in the air on an eight-foot wide wall, blowing our trumpets, playing our cymbals, and letting all of the world see what's going on. Now, I thought about this. Um, Jericho, the walls of Jericho, you guys ever heard of that place? And the walls come down? This is something that shouting to the Lord and making a joyful noise into the Lord. Like sometimes we have these concepts, we have these Christianese words and phrases that we say, but we don't really understand the magnitude of what we're actually saying. Okay? Because this says something to the whole world that we don't actually get until I go back into the scripture and read what it says. Because there's a concept that's being taught here 
that's biblical, and they knew what it meant. And this is what the concept is. What were you actually saying when you were walking around the wall for all to see? This is the Jewish concept of stepping out in faith, okay? This is a symbolic act claiming the blessing of God in their day. When you did this, it meant you walked on the property and you claimed to everyone, as God had set aside to Abraham, get up, walk around, and the land that you walk on, its length and its width, I will give to you. Then in Genesis, he said to Joshua, every place on which you set your foot and tread, I am giving it to you. So the joyful march on the watch wasn't just saying, hey, everyone, we did it. We're big and glorious. The joyful walk on the wall was simply saying, this is what God has given to us. And we claim everything that we walk on and every place that we step around in the name of our God, in the name of our forefathers, this is land claimed by the eternal God. That makes me want to walk around this building, <laughs> right? That makes me, a Gentile, want to go, what do I need to walk around? You know, maybe I need to walk around my townhome or walk around my family or walk around something because there are so many beautiful principles in God's word that we hear them and we kind of forget them like covenants. And I think this is such an amazing thing. They're not just trying to make a joyful noise and put this in everyone's face. They're putting it in everyone's face because Jerusalem has been set aside to be a house of worship for the whole world to see. And guess what? The whole world in that area is seeing it. And they could no longer take away what God has done. They all tried to mock it. They all tried to say it was a joke. But when it's done and people are walking around on the, on the walls, singing and making a joyful noise and shouting out to the Lord, there's nothing that anyone can say other than something's going on. Something's going on in that place. Something's going on with those people. And we may want to figure out or we may want to ask what exactly is happening in Jerusalem. The reality is simply this. The walls were once down in despair. The walls are up. The choirs were once not assembled and the people didn't care. Now the choirs are assembled. Ezra once taught the people that revival was necessary and they didn't care. Now the people through revival and prayer and repentance were in such a way, in such a position to actually stand at the very water gate where the revival began, right? The refuge gate where Nehemiah started his walk, they finished at the fountain gate, the water gate where the revival began, and the results of the revival is a people completely restored by God. Now, I wish I could tell you that this amazing situation continued on for Jerusalem and everything was hunky-dory for them and they never had any problems. But the reality is they get smashed again. They get smashed again and smashed again. They have been so smashed that if you actually go there today, you, don't, you can't pray at the temple. Solomon's temple is no longer. All that's left is the foundation, right? It's called the Wailing Wall. And you stand, if you go there today, with every Jew and every person that's waiting for the Lord to return, and you stand at that wailing wall, and you shove a prayer into one of the cracks of the rocks, and you hope and you pray that this covenant that God has once made with his people will be restored. And church, that's the only reason why in Revelation says, and when he comes, he's bringing something with him. Because I honestly believe it will never be undone. The unrest will never be undone until the Lord returns. But he will return one day. And with him, he will bring that new Jerusalem. Why? Because it's a city on a hill that's been covenantly promised with an eternal covenant by God. And because of that, the people not only had a right to celebrate, but they made sure to celebrate so that everybody around knew. I don't know about you, but when's the last time we actually celebrated something as a church? When's the last time Christianity had something to celebrate? And I think the reason why we kind of dump our heads and like, oh, I don't know, man, it's COVID took everything. It's like, we've forgotten the covenantal promises that we have. First of all, we are grafted in. We are grafted into everything that's been promised to Israel. So we have every right to celebrate too. And here's what I want you to think about celebrating today. Salvation. Not one person in this room, myself included, deserves salvation. Not one of us did anything worth merit, even a valorous act in the city helping a police out. Not one of us could do something that would actually merit the, the opportunity for us to say, I'm worthy of being saved, right? We have ultimately forgotten the price that Jesus paid for us to be saved. And we have forgotten the childlike faith that we once came to when I was 14 at a camp at Hume Lake, watching the kids throw their little stick in the fire and give their testimony and for, we have forgot the significance of that moment. Repentance, 
for some of the stuff that you've done, for some of the stuff that I've done. I mean, if the Lord really wanted to keep score of things, there's some stupid things that we've all done that we just, I don't think we could ever forgive ourselves. That he says, as far as the east is from the west, it will be remembered no more. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ. There's a lot of different things that we can celebrate. How about just a marriage relationship? How about broken relationships that have been restored? How about just the simple enjoyment of a sunrise? Pick anything that you're taking for granted every single day. And I would encourage you this morning to find something that you need to stop and celebrate with God. If you're blessed enough to have a talent, painting, singing, music, something, maybe you've been taking that for granted. Maybe this morning you just need to stop what you're doing when we get to this time here and have an opportunity to pray and be pensive about who we are in Christ and supplement with him and think about it and just say, you know what, God? Man, I've been taking a lot of stuff for granted. My grandchildren, I've been taking so much stuff for granted that I haven't had the time to stop and go stand on a wall and play my harp and bang my cymbal and say, Adonai, Father, what a great, amazing person you are. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, you don't understand what I've been through this week. This week, I, I watched someone pass. And this week, yeah, but the beautiful thing about watching someone pass, and I shared this with uh, Barbara's daughter this morning, and you guys are here. It's good to have you guys this morning. Is there's a way that someone passes when they know God. And there's a way someone passes who doesn't know God. And on behalf of every pastor, chaplain, and person that has to serve someone who's passing, I plead with you, I implore you, make the profession of faith long before you get in that situation. Because there's a peace that passes all understanding that allows an individual, even in those passing moments, to celebrate on top of the wall. The joy that's coming, even the joy that's coming in the midst of what's inevitable, so that Barbara would tell me, Jeff, I just want to fly away. Matter of fact, would you make sure to sing that song? And I had the privilege of seeing her just a few hours before she passed, and that's all I did. I just held her toes, because I don't know why I have this weird thing about toes in the hospital, because you're not supposed to touch anyone. Chaplain, you're not supposed to touch anyone. Of course, I touched someone one time who had MRSA, and wasn't posted, and so I understand why, but I don't care. I was just like... God, I love Barbara. I thank you so much for just an incredible life. And I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate a, a life well lived. Like Merv. Like all those people before us that have gone in such a way that it made it a blessing. And Lord, all she wants to do is fly away. And I just started singing it. I'll fly away, oh Lord. I'll fly away. And, and it was just like, it doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to be so overwhelming, whatever. But in that moment, it felt like everything that's good, everything that's right, Everything that's significant about wanting to be a, a service, a person who services other people on behalf of God was right. And I know looking at some of the faces in here, I know some of you are out there doing those same kind of things. I know that some of you are out there practicing what God has already taught Israel. To be a life of service means you have to give up some of your comforts. You have to be able to put it aside. But to be able to celebrate what God has done, what did it ultimately say about Jerusalem? It became a city of joy. Matter of fact, chapter 12 is full of joy. If you read chapter 12, one of the words that's just kind of pervasive is this idea of great joy. And I couldn't help but think about just the word great once again and how it's been once again tied, the through line through this whole message. What did Nehemiah indicate that he was actually beginning? When people said, hey, come on down off the wall. We need to talk to you. We got stuff we need to work on. He said, I can't come off the wall. Remember, he's walking on the wall early while he's building it. He said, I'm up on the wall and I'm doing a great work right he started this concept for israel to realize we're doing we're not just doing something good we're doing something great mary and martha guys there's good things to do in life and there's great things to do in life and anything you can do for the lord is the thing you want to do and a great word led, led to something or led to a revival not just a revival but three chapters of revival equals a great revival I mean, great revival, it so moved the people that the people now had a chance to be restored to this incredible covenant. A covenant that wasn't just a regular covenant, but an everlasting covenant. And now we get to see the ultimate blessing is great joy. I don't know about you, what you came in with this morning or what you're going to leave with, but may I encourage you as I get ready to call the band back up and we get time to kind of just celebrate God and worship and some closing things is I want to encourage you something. The reason why we don't have is because we haven't asked. 
And one of the things we're going to work on next week is I hope to simplify prayer for you next week to remove the veil. Anyone in here who has any kind of misconceptions about prayer, make sure you're here next week. Make sure you invite somebody because we need to remove the prayer veil and make prayer simplified once again. Okay? It's one of the most powerful tools that a believer has. And if you don't understand it or it's been taken from you, then you've lost one of the most powerful tools that you have. Matter of fact, the prayer of a righteous man, which is anthropos, a human being, man or a woman, the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, right? It doesn't say that the wise words of prayer or the illustrious words of prayer or the perfectly spoken words of prayer, it just says prayer. So we need to simplify that because the reality is the reason why you're sitting here this morning and you're not thinking about how great your life is is because you've given in to something you've given into the overwhelming nitpicking and naysayers that exist in the world that tell you, hey, come on off the wall. Stop that silly celebration. You're making a noise. You're going to bother the neighbors. Some of the neighbors aren't going to like that. As a matter of fact, two of the neighbors for sure won't like that. <laughs> and they may come over and tell you that you're parked in their parking spots and all the different things that happen when you've done something that makes people mad. But I want to tell you something. This is the answer that Nehemiah gave them. And may I share it with you this morning. Why would I come off the wall? I'm doing a great work here. Church, you're doing a great work here. We're on the verge of something really super wonderful. And it's just because we're falling back to a place where we can hold fast and celebrate once again that God is good, that God is sufficient, that God's word is more than enough, the song says, right? God's word is more than enough for what we need. And I know that you might have come in here with a lot of different things, and now I for sure would ask the band to finally get up here because I'm not sure what they're holding me out for. But uh, <laughs> I want you to realize something. The only thing better than not having is not having with God. Because I'd rather not have with God than I would have everything without God. Amen? Amen? There's a lot of people wandering around in this world right now that have because they think the world has given them all kinds of stuff. But without God, they got nothing. Okay? I'd rather have nothing and know where I stand but realize in God I have everything. When's the last time you invited someone to church? When's the last time you prayed with someone for salvation? When's the last time you truly thanked the Lord for just your salvation or for forgiveness? When's the last time you told someone in your life who's part of a relationship that you have that you just take for granted that you have someone you can always call? When's the last? Just simplify it. You, you finish the line. You think about what you need to pray about. You simplify the line and then do this today. Call that person. Rally with that person. Go to lunch. Find that person that you need to invite to church and break it all down because we have a reason to celebrate every week. We're in place. Everything that we need is done. The walls are up. God has protected us. We're going to end up having a life of service no matter what it is. You're going to be attacked. There's going to be nitpicking naysayers that want you to come off the wall, but you have no reason to get off the wall. Stay on the wall. Put your trumpet in your mouth. Take a deep breath. Blow loud. Blow vigorously. And trust that God has something for us something bigger than all of us can expect and some of us bigger than all of us even understand, we have a reason to celebrate. His name is Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And he is alive and well and breathing and seated at the right hand of the Father. And this morning, he encourages you to come to him. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for Nehemiah. I thank you for 454 BC and the reality of how strong your word was moving the fact that you were here in the beginning and so who else could write genesis but the person who was here and whether or not the world wants to tell us whether or not david attenborough wants to realize that his billions of year old philosophy and all these wise people think they have the answer father one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue will confess because that is a promise that you made and so it's a promise that we keep and so I just say it every week. I say it every morning, Father. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the light. There's, there's no one smarter than you. There's no one wiser than you. And if you said it, then that's it. And that's what it is. And this morning, Father, if someone came in here and their joy had been cannibalized, if their faith has been cannibalized, if their hope has been lost because of adversity, because of sickness, because of death, because of health, because of a broken relationship, then Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning that you would begin that restorative work like you did in Nehemiah when, when, he, when he heard the call. Hey, it's not right in your homeland. 
It's not right, and your father's tombs are exposed. It's not right. What are you going to do about it? This morning, Father, I pray that you would ask each one of us, what are you going to do about faith? What are you going to do about the kingdom of God? And I pray that the answer is simply this, with great joy and beginning a great work, Father, I will boldly go after the things of the kingdom of God. I will boldly seek to run the race to win. I'm not here for a participation award. I have no interest in simply being at a void from the world. I only want the recognition that comes from you. You and you alone are worthy of the recognition. Father, if there's someone watching online, I pray that this morning when they hear these words, give your life to Jesus, pray and ask Jesus for forgiveness. This morning, do not wait. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, for today is the day of the Lord. Amen.
at your name. The mountains shake and crumble at your name. a personal invite to all of you. If you're not doing anything Saturday, please come join us for uh, some breakfast burritos or other failed. You got Rick, we got good stuff. It'll be good food, plenty of it to eat. And invite someone this week. I want you to be praying about it. Look around your world. Look inside your family, your oikos, the people that God has given you. Invite someone. Make a personal effort to bring someone in the house of the Lord to be encouraged next week. We love you guys. If you need prayer, I'll be staying here for a while. God bless you. We'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.